Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? Yeah. So we won Oklahoma, and it was state, and it was state. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. And it always seems to be that uh, Oklahoma State digs themselves a 35-foot deep hole, and they just keep on climbing out of it, Colby. Uh, as often as I'm joined by you, that's seemingly the uh, the script for Oklahoma State, but another wild one. They beat BYU, and they're heading to Arlington. Um, Colby, it's... Uh, <laughs> We got a lot to get to, but I, I hope you've thawed out since since Saturday night. Uh, we did thaw out. Yes, it was nice to come home to a, a warm house. Um, and actually, we did not have our baby this weekend. She was with grandparents. So we're going to pick her up here in just a little bit. And we actually went out last night after the game, like came home, got around and then went out after the game to celebrate uh, and just have a good time. So, uh, yeah, it was good to get home. And Carson, I I. I got to say, if Hollywood's best writers were tasked with scripting a game yesterday that would deliver the maximum amount of pain to the fans in Norman, that was it. That was maximum pain for the fans in Norman who thought for about two and a half, maybe three hours that they'd be getting another shot at Texas. No, it's amazing, too. And you know, after the game ended, I'm only talking about Oklahoma state and I get all these sooner fans in my mentions. So I just queue up the Denzel chugging vodka gif and said more sooner tears forever. They're just net. They're never getting over. You know, they're, they're mentioning referees and they're just, they're never getting over it. And they keep coming. Like they keep saying, well, look, obviously we're, you're so concerned about it. I'm not concerned at all about OU. I'm talking about OSU and you're the ones hopping into my mentions. So it's just, they clearly aren't over it. You're absolutely right. Clearly this was even more pain that they had to sit through a four hour double overtime affair just to learn that for the third consecutive season, Oklahoma will not play for a big 12 championship. I mean, Colby, it's, you know, you and I were a little concerned about it on the golf course a couple weeks ago or a week ago. We didn't want to see, Oh, you get another shot because this is the state of mind they're currently in. And they're going to have to live with it for a long time. Oh, 100%. This was really best-case scenario uh, in that fact. And for Oklahoma, uh, what was – it was the summer of 2021 whenever it was announced that Oklahoma and Texas would be heading to the SEC. So that's the 2021 season, the 2022 season, and the 2023 season. Three seasons have been played since it was announced that Texas know you would head to the SEC. In those three seasons, since that was announced, Oklahoma State, two Bedlam wins. Oklahoma, one Bedlam win. Oklahoma State, two appearances in the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma, zero appearances in the Big 12 championship game. Congratulations on your big move to the SEC. I so hate for all of your very sensitive feelings that your little brother caught and then passed you in the conference in terms of on-field success before you headed out the door. It was just a perfect way for everything to shake down. Um, The golf group text that I'm in, oh, it was hilarious, Carson. It was hilarious. At halftime, it was 
Oh, at halftime, it was, this is the most OSU thing ever. Go out there and lay an egg to BYU to let Big Brother into the championship game. OU in Texas before they head to the SEC. And then after the game, it was, well, nobody to blame but ourselves. We laid eggs to two really bad teams in the middle of the season. Then other guys are texting, yeah, and without Stutzman, too. I'm like, oh, my God, this is, oh, it's too much. It's too good. It's like. It's like if Saturday Night Live was a fan base. I don't even know how to describe it, but I, I love it so, so much. Well, and here's the reality. Barry Trammell wrote a column heading into the game on Saturday about how Oklahoma State's been the Big 12's best since 2020. Here's the cumulative Big 12 standings of the 2020s. OSU is 24-11. and 11, OU, 22-12. and 12, Texas, 21-13. and 13, K-State, 21-14. and 14, And then on down the line, TCU, Iowa State, West Virginia Tech, Baylor, Kansas. So Oklahoma State has the best cumulative record since the 2020 season. Uh, that, that to me, when they're when, when people want to talk about referees, people want to talk about oh this went didn't go our way. Like that's a three year sample size in which Oklahoma State is two better in the win column than Oklahoma, the next best team. And I think that's kind of where I'm landing here. Now we'll we'll get into the game and just the absolute ridiculousness of the last three weeks in the first half from Oklahoma State. But that right there, that stat just kind of shows you that this is not just a fluke. Like Mike Gundy has built a program that can withstand all the craziness that happens given in a college football season. And I, I thought that stat really was one surprising Colby, but two illuminating of this. This season's kind of been a culmination of the last three. Yeah, I just I, I can't really imagine too many programs in the country doing what Oklahoma State did this year. And, and Dave talked about it on the post game show last night, February of this year. This program was pretty much written off as dead, right? Like we thought the way last season ended, injuries, it was kind of fluky. But then social media goes crazy. I think it was 17 guys jumped in the portal. Guys that we all thought were absolute superstars who were going to go be studs elsewhere. And Oklahoma State was going to be left with very little um, at the skill positions, at corner, at linebacker. And guys just stepped up. And, And September went really badly. And you, you can obviously point to the lack of personnel decisions in the first few games. And then I think that we can look back now with a big enough sample size and say, okay, we really thought Iowa State was going to be a bottom dweller in this league. Iowa State, not a world beater, not going to the playoff, not a bad football team by any means. Matt Campbell did a great job in Ames this year. So you get to the bye week, this team turns it around, and man, to, to only lose one the rest of the way, it wasn't easy. It was stressful. It always is with Oklahoma State. But that turnaround to go from two and two coming out of September to competing for a Big 12 championship this Saturday against Texas, it, it's something that you couldn't have seen coming. Um, I mean, you could have been Nostradamus and not seen this coming. So uh, I think we've gone plenty into what happened in September, but the turnaround is truly remarkable. And Mike Gundy talked about the culture last night on the radio after the game. Um, and he has every right to sit there and just preach culture, 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 because he did it his way and it worked in a big way in 2023. Would you like to hear the list of power five programs that have made more than one league championship game in the last four years? Oh, I do. Is this a short list? It's very short. It's Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Michigan, Oregon, Utah, USC, Iowa, 
and Oklahoma State. That's the list. Wow. That's the list of Power 5 schools that have played for more than one league championship game in the last four years. Uh, hats off to Mike Gundy. I mean, this one was probably – it was his, <laughs> it's hard to call it his best coaching job ever based on, you know – how much he was at fault in September, which we, again, we've beat that horse into the ground six feet under. But again, that's just another, another statistic that kind of just describes the resurgence of a program that you mentioned that we all kind of thought with the transfer portal was dead. So uh, amazing how they got here, Colby. Let's, let's get into the game. I mean, I was up there. I brought my OU alum wife. We went over to Eskimo Joe's, uh, went, went on the sports animals. Great to go see those guys again. Robert Jones doing a great job as the Dell city head coach, former OSU player. He was in school when I was in school, Colby. I was like, did you wear number six? He's like, heck yeah, I did. I was like, he goes, how old are you? I was like, oh, I'm 39. He goes, oh, you, you and I were in school at the same time together. So it was good to meet Robert and good to go on the radio and, um, had great seats. The weather was terrible. And, Colby, the way the game started, like, do you think if Oklahoma State just scores one touchdown there, not necessarily two to make it 14 nothing, do you even think that first half plays out like it does? Because, man, they they really missed a golden opportunity off a, off a fumble versus BYU to, to punch it in. Yeah, not necessarily. And, and let's go ahead and get into this game now that we've given them their flowers for everything they've accomplished in the big picture. That first half was really pretty brutal. Early, you go down there, the red zone offense – um, wasn't great early. You settle for the field goal, but then you get the fumble and it's like, all right, you go score here, get out in front, play from in front the entire, the entire game and, and just really put it on them. And then I, I thought it was probably one of the worst called series from inside the 10 yard line by Casey Dunn since this resurgence, it was everybody stands completely still and we turn and run the exact same play up the middle to Ollie about three times from the six-yard line. And I am perfectly okay with Ollie touching it three times from the six-yard line. But we had no motion. All the fun, creative things pre-snap that we've been seeing for weeks now, all that went away, and it was just everybody lined up and stand still. Here, let's give it to Ollie and see if he can run through these nine guys. They got stopped three times, settled for a field goal, and then the next thing you know, BYU rips off 24 unanswered to end the first quarter. I, I thought that that was a great play by Trey Rucker diving in there recklessly, just slamming into the quarterback, somehow coming up with a clean recovery on that dive. And then Oklahoma State manages to only get three out of it. And that looked like it was going to be one of those painful moments that cost you a football game. Um, yeah, Oklahoma State really, really erred in only getting six points out of those first two drives when they could have put BYU in an early hole. Yeah, and I, you're so right about the lack of motion. It, it just seemed like we were watching the team we watched in September. And what is that, it, Colby? Is it just the fact, like, is this why they've struggled in the first halves against these three teams that they're better than? Is it? Did they kind of revert back to that mindset they had in September of we're we're better than you? We have the better running back. We're just gonna we're not gonna mess around here. Is it just an an overconfidence thing? Because the the differences in the second half versus the first half play calling just could not be more different. Really, the last three weeks. Yeah, Oklahoma State, I didn't feel like really ran its offense in the first half. I, I thought that Casey Dunn looked pretty lost and, and was play calling scared. I thought Alan Bowman looked lost and was just, I, I mean, for the people who are tired of the throwaways, I don't know what it looked like on TV, but in person in the first half, about three separate occasions, Alan Bowman scrambled 
tried to make a play, and the play that he tried to make was an interception. BYU just couldn't come down with it. So I'm totally okay with the throwaways. Send that thing into the sixth row. We don't need him turning and throwing it across his body into the middle of the field. Um, I I don't want to go as far, Carson, as to say that Oklahoma State didn't respect its opponent, but what what am I supposed to think when you come out against Oklahoma, a team you know you're going to have to play great to beat, and you're motioning all over the place, and you've got all these great packages, you're doing a ton pre-snap, your offense has a ton of success, and then you come out against BYU, and you just line up in the same formation with nobody going anywhere three plays in a row and run it into a brick wall. I, I thought it was – maybe they just thought they could push BYU over, and then they got punched in the face and had to adjust. But I was very disappointed with the coaching in the first half, not being prepared for trick plays whenever a 17-point underdog comes into your house the final week of the season. I just thought it was a very flat coaching performance in the first half yesterday. Yeah, it really was. And and as bad as the play calling I thought was on offense, you know, I'm sitting up in the stands, (laughs) and it was so obvious to me, BYU had no interest in throwing the football. Zero. I think he didn't attempt – I don't think he got to three or four passing attempts until late in the, in the first half. Uh, and yet it didn't seem like Brian Nardo was making any adjustments. They were, they were basically just running the wing T they were running a lot of reverses, a lot of jet sweeps. They, they had no interest in letting rats law throw the football. And <laughs> my whole section, I just started like, I was like, Nardo, they, they have zero. They're not even pretending to throw the football. <laughs> play the run and and look I thought the defense didn't play terrible in the first half it just I didn't feel like they adjusted quickly enough to to what BYU was trying to do offensively oh I couldn't agree more the jet sweeps I was about to lose my mind if on one more jet sweep Oklahoma State didn't have anybody out there setting the edge and they got the corner like how many times are you gonna have to watch them get the edge on this jet sweep before you make that adjustment and and to their credit, that adjustment was made at halftime. They came out in the second half, and they did not get the corner one time on that jet sweep. But the first half, um, yeah, they, they just seemingly were allowing BYU to run the ball. There were huge gaps for BYU to run through. Um, and, and I thought it was pretty much a, a coaching masterclass by BYU in that first half. They came out. They had nothing to lose, and they played like they had nothing to lose. The surprise onside kick, I love that call. You're a 17-point dog. You just took a 7-6 to six lead on the road. You don't want to kick it back, let them go score and get the momentum. And it didn't work, right? They got there one second too early. It was a penalty. They had to re-kick. But I love the thought. And then the fake punt. You already got burned on an onside kick and got lucky, and then you're not prepared for a fake punt. They've already told you that they're going to pull out all the stops. They do. You're not ready. Um You've got that. You've got them backed up third and 10 on their own 10-yard line, and they're just running a little tunnel screen for 25 yards, and then their quarterback makes the best throw of his entire life, an absolute moonshot all the way down the field, right over the top of two defenders, lands right in the breadbasket of the receiver. It was just one thing after another that I I, I knew Oklahoma State could come back from an 18-point halftime deficit. We, we stuck around. Uh, we ended up making it through all the game. I was going to give them the third quarter to show me some life. And they did. But, man, that first half, BYU played like a team that, that was there to win the game. And Oklahoma State, Carson, I very much felt um, like everyone, players, coaches, I just thought everyone was tight with the Big 12 championship game on the line, knowing that OU would go if you didn't go. Everyone looked so tight. And BYU took full advantage of it in that first half. Uh, both sides of the ball, Oklahoma State really struggled. 
Yeah, and for people who don't think I know what I'm talking about, when I, when I was on the Sports Animal, Gideon Hamilton, a uh, great guy, great host on, on the Sports Animal, asked me what I was most concerned about defensively for Oklahoma State. And I said, setting the edge, outside rushing. I thought, oh, you hit them on some plays on the outside. I think that's kind of where their, their run defense is pretty good up the middle. Uh, I know BYU had some success up the middle, but I think that was in, due in large part to all the jet sweeps and reverses that they were doing on the edges. That happened. And this team and this season reminds me so much of the 2013 season. For people who don't remember, OSU opened it up in Houston against Mississippi State. Clint Shelf plays two series. Weird quarterback decision. They yank him. They play Walsh. They go to Morgantown. First Big 12 game of the year, much like Ames. Couldn't run the ball at all in, in West Virginia. It was Mike Yurcich's first season. It's Brian Nardo's first season. There's a lot of similarities here. Uh, Desmond Rowland really emerged as one of the better running backs. Ollie Gordon's emergence has mirrored Clint Shelf taking the reins like Alan Bowman. And as I look back on the game on Saturday, it couldn't have been any more like Bedlam 2013 if it tried. The weather, the terrible weather, one team pulling out all the stops with trick plays like Oklahoma did in 2013, uh, a team playing to win the game and like what you said, Colby, a team playing not to lose. It was playing out so similarly to that to that 2013 Bedlam game. And I think this team's rise is so similar to that team. Now, the, is, is this year's team as good as that 2013 team? No. That, that 2013 team was by far the best team in the Big 12. They blew it against an inferior Oklahoma team. That's history. They were 10-1 and one going into Bedlam the final game of the year. They didn't have the hiccups this team had along the way. But... It does strike me, Colby, that it was playing out so similarly to 2013 where I got to give BYU a ton of credit, man. You mentioned that the fake punt was a brilliant call. Uh, the, the onside kick was even more brilliant. They were so unlucky that the guy crossed the line the way he did. I caught everyone by complete surprise. Our section wasn't even ready for kickoff, it didn't seem. Um, so, yeah, I, I give BYU a ton of credit. And this is why when I mentioned when we were making our picks last week, Colby, it's so hard to win in November. One, you know the stakes. Texas wins the night before. You're just—it's human nature. You're going to get a little tight knowing you're playing for a big a, a chance to go win a Big Twelve championship. And it's the last game of the year for BYU. They're trying to get bowl eligible. This coach is coaching for his job. Uh, that's a dangerous. That's a way more dangerous opponent. The last game in November than when you're playing them in October. Uh, so they got the kitchen sink proverbial proverbially thrown at them. Uh, but once again, Colby, they get to halftime, and I think you, I, everyone in the stadium is like, man, I, I know they've made a lot of good adjustments this year at halftime, but this 18 points, this, I don't, I don't know if they can pull it off this time. That's at least what was going through my head. Uh, so I sat in the stands all of halftime. My, my wife, my mom, my dad, my sister, they all went underneath and came back with a couple minutes left. It was raining. It was freezing. And I just sat there um, and my wife comes back. And she's like, I'm surprised. I figured you were going to go down, go down beneath. And I was like, no, I deserve to sit here in the rain for allowing this team <laughs> to get me so emotionally invested in this season. It's like I was punishing myself for believing that this 
this was the special team because Carson, the narrative on this entire season changes so much. If you lose that game yesterday and Oklahoma goes to the big 12 championship in your place, it not only changes the narrative of this entire season, it changes the narrative going forward in the big 12. It changes the national outlook when now for the second time in three years, people are seeing Oklahoma state in that game instead of seeing Oklahoma and Texas in that game right as they're both leaving and everyone else in the conference is just the poor little Big 12 that doesn't have any real schools that can compete with the big boys. The narrative for everything changes if you lose that game. And I was in a little bit of a dark place at halftime, but I I still didn't think that that lead was insurmountable. And when Oklahoma State came out and scored early in that third quarter, I'm like, all right, you just never know. Um, and it still wasn't easy in that second half. It, it was, um, man, I, I still didn't think that they were going to do it going into the fourth quarter when they were down by 11. It was just a long, long night. And then you finally get it done. You can't execute the extra point. You, then I think that's going to cost you the game. I, I don't know. Um, Carson, I know y'all didn't make it till the end. So you tell me once you left the stadium versus being in the stadium, Every play in that second half carried so much weight. Every third down, every, you know, slightly off-target pass from Alan Bowman that that Rashad Owens and Leon Johnson and Brennan Presley and Josiah Johnson were just reaching out and plucking out of thin air. It all carried so much weight. Everyone was standing up. It was cold. Nobody wanted to sit down on the freezing wet seats and, and – it was just hold your breath on every single play for like two, two and a half hours. Um, the second half and those overtimes were incredibly intense in the stadium. Yeah, I, I I started to get hope. The first two possessions, offensively and defensively, gave me a little bit of hope. I was like, okay, like this is this is what these two teams are supposed to look like. And I the way they started the second half, you had to get off to that fast of a start. And once the stops started to accumulate, that's when it felt like Oklahoma State had a real shot. Because OSU's offense didn't capitalize every time they got a stop, obviously. But here, here's a look at BYU's second-half possessions until their last-ditch field goal uh, that they made, which, God, we'll get to. Uh, first drive, three plays, zero yards, punt. Five plays, 19 yards, punt. Three plays, six yards, punt. Three plays, seven yards, punt. Six plays, 13 yards, punt. Three plays, nine yards, punt. That's six straight drives uh, with one, two first downs and six drives. The rest are three and outs. One, two, three, four, three and outs out of out of six drives. When we look back on this year and we look back on Mike Gundy's coaching tenure, his ability to hire assistant coaches is will be looked at as one of his main strengths. Brian Nardo came out of complete nowhere. The more I learned about him, the more I liked. Uh, I liked the three-three-five. I liked a lot. Um, has it been perfect this year? Far from it. First halves have been atrocious. Um, but what's really happened is Oklahoma State has flat-out suffocated teams in the second half. I mean, they they have been dominant, dominant defensively in the second half. And is BYU great offensively? Of course not. But they had to be as lights out as they were, Colby, to have any shot whatsoever. And we're we're gonna give plaudits to to Ollie Gordon as we as we should and, and Alan Bowman and the offense, but they would have had no chance to win this game 
if the defense wasn't damn near perfect, and they were until the very last drive of the game. Yeah, there were a couple of things that I thought were really key in terms of halftime adjustments. Two things specifically that stood out to me in the stadium. Number one, um, Robert Allen said on the broadcast that Brian Nardo spoke individually with Kendall Daniels at halftime and uh, essentially told him he needed him. He, he needed something from Kendall Daniels in that second half. He needed him to be the guy out there, be the rover, fill the gaps, uh, be in coverage on the back end. He needed him to do everything in the second half. And Kendall Daniels, who was, I, I, I don't want to say invisible in the first half, but he just wasn't, wasn't in on the play a lot in the first half. Second half, th- those gaps off right guard, off left guard, Kendall Daniels was filling those. It wasn't Nick Martin. It wasn't Xavier Benson. They had other responsibilities. They were getting up on the edge. They were putting a lot of pressure on the quarterback late in that game. Kendall Daniels was filling those gaps, and he was laying some big hits, no yards after contact, whenever he would, he would meet the running back in the hole. That was one of the big adjustments, and the other one we've already talked about, it was – the first couple of times in the second half that they ran into Kendall Daniels in the middle, and then they tried to run that jet sweep, and that jet sweep had nowhere to go, and Oklahoma State ran him out of bounds for a gain of half a yard. That's when I'm sitting there like, okay, I, I really think this defense can pitch a shutout in the second half. Oklahoma State has answered what BYU was doing in the first half, and BYU has no answers for what Oklahoma State is doing now because BYU doesn't have an adjustment to make. They can't just tell their quarterback, okay, they're defending the edges now. We're going to start throwing the ball over the middle of the field. That's not that's not a play that they have in their book. So Oklahoma State took away the only couple of things that they were able to do, and I really felt like, okay, they could pitch a shutout in this half, and then it was just time for the offense to go to work. They started really running their offense. I sat there in the first half. I called for Rashad Owens. I don't know how many times he's turned into maybe my favorite player on this Oklahoma State team when the ball finally gets thrown his way. I mean, he's making phenomenal catch after phenomenal catch in the second half of that game. Leon Johnson, he had to burn his red shirt, and all he comes out is uh, – all he does is come out and get, what was it, 9 for 132, I think? Let me scroll down and make yeah, sure. Yeah, no, 9 for 132. Yeah, nine for 132 for Leon Johnson. Um, I don't think they win Bedlam without Leon Johnson. I don't think they win yesterday without Leon Johnson. He had to burn the red shirt, and, you know, you feel for him, and you hope that that all works out for him personally. But he was a big, big part of this team making it to a Big 12 championship game. So, um, yeah, those guys, I, I didn't think Alan Bowman had his best stuff yesterday by any means. And I thought in the second half, his receivers really helped him out a ton by making great catches. Um, and the one Josiah Johnson made over the middle on the third down, that was just f- for him to reach out and pluck that ball out of the air when it's away from his body like that, just pretty unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, all those guys deserve a ton of credit for helping the offense and getting the offense to a position where Ollie could then run over and around everybody in the fourth quarter and overtimes when they were clearly tired of tackling it. Yeah, and, and BYU was in a position that they wanted to be in with their quarterback, Retzlov, in the first half, where they didn't really have to throw it. Uh, they just kept running the football, and they were having success. Once Oklahoma State put Jake Retzlov in a position to throw the football, that's when they were feeling really good about their chances to come back. He finishes 14 of 30 for 161 yards of 48 QBR. I mean, that's kind of why, like, like, did you know – what the halftime percentages were for BYU and Houston to win the game, their percentage chance of winning according to ESPN's win probability. You know what B, uh, Houston's was? Houston at halftime, I'd say, was probably 65, and BYU was probably 80. 83.9 in favor of Houston. Oh. 90.7 for BYU. 
So while, while those numbers seem just outrageous that Oklahoma State was able to come back, once they got just a semblance of game control at all in terms of making a team do what you want them to do, they're just flat out better than them. Like once once Retzlaff had to throw the football, BYU was cooked. Now, he made some nice throws to get him down there for a field goal at the end of the game, but they did very, very, very little in the second half, and that's due to Oklahoma State's defense. And I, again, I think Brian Nardo deserves a ton of credit, but I, I am glad you mentioned the receivers. I mean, what Leon Johnson did, uh, Mike Gunny talked extensively about this in post game about just the character that took. That's why they recruited him to their program because he kind of fit their character. Like, I don't know how many college kids would put the team first over their personal wants and needs the way Leon Johnson did. Now, he did have the opportunity to play for a Big 12 championship, uh, and that's what Gundy said they kind of sold him on, a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, What he did there is it's hard to put in words what that must mean to his teammates and the coaching staff, putting – Team goals over your first, over your own. That just doesn't really happen a whole lot in today's age, especially with the transfer portal. And did that gamble pay off? You mentioned it. Nine catches, 132 yards. Casey Dunn talked a ton in post game about the size difference between Leon Johnson, Rashad Owens, and their their DBs. They really started finding some mismatches. And um, I, oh, flat out, Oklahoma State is not in Arlington if Leon Johnson doesn't burn his red shirt. It, it's that's goes without saying that's probably an obvious statement, but just, just to think about it in those terms, Colby, I mean, what else can you say about Leon Johnson? He he came through, he gambled, he bet on himself, he bet on his team and he came up aces. I mean, I just, I, can, I don't have enough good things to say about the guy. Yeah. If the NCAA is listening, Carson means he metaphorically gambled on himself and his team, just a metaphor NCAA. <laughs> Calm down. Um, no, the size difference is a great point. Leon Johnson, and, and he could have had more yesterday. He drew a pass interference call in the end zone whenever they just threw a fade up to him. They were like, hey, he's bigger and taller, and he was going to go get that ball. He was about to moss somebody again like he did uh, last week in Houston, and then they, of course, pulled his jersey down and, and set Ollie up for the touchdown. But he was unbelievable. Um, there was a play Late in that game, I don't know if it was the drive where Ollie scored the eventual go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter, maybe, where we're sitting in the west end zone, and Oklahoma State's going toward Gallagher-Iba. And Alan Bowman cuts loose this throw up the left, up, up the numbers on the left side. And the only thing any of us see whenever he cuts this through is a safety sitting there. And this, I mean, it's like he threw it right to him. And then at the last second, presumably from off the sideline, Leon Johnson, Leon Johnson just cuts right in front of him, snags it out of the air. It's like a 28 yard gain and they just keep it moving. It was just one thing after another where Leon Johnson made a big play. He had some big catches on third downs and the, the chunk yardage that Oklahoma state needed whenever Ollie, uh, pardon me, whenever BYU was just loading the box to slow down Ollie Gordon, you needed some chunk yardage whenever you're just getting man-to-man coverage with no safety help on the outside. They had the safety mostly shaded toward Brennan um, and, and a little bit toward Rashad Owens on that side as well. You needed Leon Johnson to win on his side and he went and did it. Um, like you said, I, I don't think that they're there without him. There's a lot of guys we can say that about, but he was so, so impressive late in that game. Uh, Rashad Owens was the one who gave the halftime speech. He, he got up on the box. 
he told his team, look, we, we've got to believe that we can go do this. And I mean, who would have thought at the end of the season, if you would have told me on September 1st, Rashad Owens would be your leader in game 12 when you need a, a historic comeback. I think it's the third largest in program history to come back and make the big 12 championship game. And Rashad Owens gives the speech and then goes out and makes a couple of great catches in the second half. Um, yeah, just really, really impressive stuff from the receiving core. I, I do know at some point we need to get to Mr. Doak Walker himself though. The Does Rashad Owens get like a, like a Tim Tebow esque plaque, like, this spot here is where Rashad Owens gave this mythical halftime speech. Does he get like the the Tim Tebow plaque to, to commemorate literally rallying the troops to victory? Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Um, yeah. Like what's those golf plaques they put in the ground? Like Tiger hit this shot from here to win the, you know, one of those. Yeah, I like that idea. I mean, Rashad Owens, I, I've, I've just raved about him all season every time he has a big game i come on here and i'm like man y'all better appreciate rashad owens um because he's just again he's a throwback to a different era he's just a guy who paid his dues time after time he changed positions he changed back he was still down the depth chart and now he's just he's so reliable out there like if you get anything near his catch radius he, he had one drop in the bedlam game on a quick out when when bowman was peppering him with seven or eight targets in the first quarter other than that I can't remember too many times a, a ball got just anywhere within his catch radius and he didn't come down with it. He's been special for Oklahoma State second half of the season. Yeah, uh, without further ado, let's get to Ollie. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what else there is to say about this kid, uh, Colby. Five touchdowns, 166 yards, 4.9 per carry. Uh, and for me, when I think back to this season of Ollie, it's got to be that last touchdown run when he stopped five yards deep, uh, loss of five to his left, cuts back to the right. Brennan Presley just does everything he can to just get in the way of the guy he was trying to block, and Ollie just leaps over the two dudes for the touchdown. I mean, talk about making chicken salad out of chicken something else. I mean, Ollie's had great blocking throughout this season, particularly on those those big long runs that he made kind of his, his hallmark during that winning streak that they had. Uh, but also, too, the, he had a couple touchdown runs here where the hole was clogged, and he just said, you know what, I'm going to go the other way. And not many running backs that are built like him with the size that he has are able to just change up the play mid-play like that and, and turn a, a, a three- or four-yard loss into a, into a touchdown. I mean, that that last one, Colby, is, is something I'm going to remember for a really long time. It was special. It was very special. And, and that's one of those moments in the game that I talked about where every play just feels like your entire season, the entire narrative of your program for the next nine months. It, it just all felt like it rested on every play. And that was about to be a massive play for BYU to back Oklahoma State up to the six or seven yard line right there. And Ollie just goes the other way. And then he goes airborne. He, he's already taken 30 plus hits in this game and he doesn't care. He's going up in the air, getting sandwiched between two guys, hanging onto the ball, getting across the goal line. Um, Mike Gundy, was asked about him yesterday on the post game show. And he immediately started his answer with, look, I'm not going to talk about Barry and Thurman. Cause that's not fair. Those guys are NFL hall of famers and, and that's fine. Those guys are NFL hall of famers. He said, what Ollie does that makes him special and a little bit different from some of the other guys we've had here, because Oklahoma state's had some really special backs over the last 20 years. In Mike Gundy's tenure, there've been really special backs at Oklahoma state. But even Mike Gundy said, as the game goes on, I mean, Guys normally start to get tired 
And Ollie's the opposite. Like, Ollie just gets juiced up in the fourth quarter. It's like everybody else is tired. Let's just get this thing across the finish line. And Ollie's like the energizer bunny out there. He seems faster in the fourth quarter than in the first quarter. He seems more powerful in the fourth quarter than in the first quarter. Um, That run in overtime was great. Even the run, and I don't know, maybe it looked easy because there was nobody on the edge. But that play that gave Oklahoma State the lead with 53 seconds to go in regulation, that was a play that's designed up the middle, and he takes the step there, and he realizes it's totally clogged up and bounces it to the outside. That's not a, a, a cut that every back sees. It's just his vision and his ability to get stronger as the game goes on. Um, BYU just they got tired of tackling him, Carson. And I get it. He's hard to tackle. It's a lot. Um, when all was said and done yesterday – He's now the leading rusher in the country by 91 yards over Missouri's Cody Schrader. He has the second most rushing touchdowns in the country with 20. The only running back with more is Blake Corum at Michigan, and he's about 600 yards behind Ollie in the rushing yards category. I, I don't see how the Doak Walker could possibly go to anyone other than Ollie Gordon. Um, five touchdowns, just, yeah, he's special. He's really, really special, and he he put on a show yesterday late in that game. Yeah, and he has two less carries than the next best guy, Cody Schrader from Missouri, and yet he has seven more touchdowns and uh, about a hundred more yards. So it's um, I think he wrapped up the Doak Walker. I'll be interested to see if he gets an invite to high to New York for the Heisman. I mean, it's such a quarterback award. I mean, you got Herb Street trumpeting the the LSU quarterback, which I get. He's had a good year statistically. That's a three loss team, like Oklahoma State. I mean, it's just it's, it's sad that it's just become a quarterback award because, you know, Marvin Harrison, a great receiver from Ohio State. And I, I haven't looked at his numbers to see if he's worthy or not. I just I wish they would spread the love not only to just that's why I was so pleased that they made, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive lineman from Michigan. He got to go to New York. I, I love seeing like when you have a special season from a defensive player like an Indomitian Sioux, who I, I thought should have won it that year. I just I wish the award was not just a straight up quarterback award, and, and that's that's fine. That's what the NFL MVP has become as well. I I understand it, at least till he'll he'll most likely win the Doak Walker. I just think what he's done in the limited amount of game time he's had, on basically nine games, the stats he's put up, uh, I think that's worthy of a trip to New York. But you know, I thought Chuba Hubbard deserved it too, and he didn't get to go, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and he didn't even win the Doak Walker, which was a shame. It was the Career Achievement Award that year for Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. For, for the record, um, I would vote for Jaden Daniels to win the Heisman this year. 3,800 yards passing, 40 touchdowns, four interceptions. Uh, LSU's defense was terrible. If they don't have Jaden Daniels, they're probably a, a four-win team, not an eight-win team. Or pardon me, not a nine-win team. Uh, excuse me, that's uh, Jalen Dan- Jaden Daniels' stats I was looking up there. Um I, I would vote for Jaden Daniels to win it, but I do agree that it shouldn't only be a quarterback award. When somebody's done something special, 3,800 yards, 40 touchdowns, four interceptions, um, that guy gets my vote. Now, beyond that, I think that there's a case for Ollie to be there. I think the UCF game hurt so, so much in the national narrative perspective because you were coming off the big bedlam game, and I think people were looking to see Ollie just continue to roll, roll, roll because – to be a running back at Oklahoma State, to get that invite to New York, it just it has to be really special with no duds. And the UCF game was such a massive dud for Oklahoma State and for Ollie that I think it's going to cost him too much nationally to get there. 
I think he's going to be one of those first few on the outside looking in, uh, and it'll probably be a group of quarterbacks that we see in New York. And that just kind of is what it is. But uh, the Doak Walker, I think, will be enough. I, I think that that will be a nice piece of hardware for him to collect. I would imagine he'll be Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year as well. Uh, it was a special season and may or may not get the trip to New York. I, I kind of doubt it, but he'll have plenty of hardware, I think, to remember this season. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, Penix from Washington, uh, Bo Nix as well, and Daniels. Uh, Jordan Travis from Florida State getting hurt, certainly knocked out a, a competitor probably. Uh, he Maybe he'll get the sympathy award. But uh, Marvin Harrison, 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns on 67 catches. I mean, I think – I certainly think Ollie Gordon's been – more impactful than Marvin Harrison Jr. has this year. Uh, I don't watch Ohio State week to week, but I don't know. 1,200 yards receiving versus 1,500 rushing and six more touchdowns for Ollie. I That's c- probably going to come down to the helmet logos, though, don't you think? Uh, yeah, helmet logos and position. I, I don't think that Harrison will be there either. I think it'll be a few of those quarterbacks that you mentioned um, maybe one other guy that we're not thinking of right now off the top of our heads. And then I think Ollie and Marvin Harrison and guys of that nature will fall kind of in that, in that, what is it? Uh, first four out as Lunardi would say, I think that's where Ollie's going to wind up. You know what the biggest play of the game was for me? And it, it came from someone not named Ollie Gordon. Uh, did it come from somebody who wears number three? Yes. Okay. Yes. I do know exactly what play you're talking about. Tell uh, people. Four- Fourth down, OSU's trying to make the comeback. Uh, they they throw a really good play design. They get Jaden Nixon out in the flat, where it is just mono imano. Jaden Nixon, more of the definitely more of the receiving type of back, definitely more of the speedster type back, definitely not the Ollie Gordon power back. And this is one of those moments in football where it is just we're drawing a line in the sand. Can you beat the man in front of you? And it would have been very easy. And we've seen Jaden Nixon do this where his feet kind of shuffle. He gets the stutter step going, trying to make a cut, trying to make a cut, gets tackled. He sees a hole, sees a hole, trying to make a cut, trying to make a cut, gets tackled. Well, the scat back saw the guy bearing down on him and said, you know what? F this. I'm running through you. I don't care that I'm the scat back. I am not letting us lose. That, to me, Colby, was one of those sack-up – I'm trying to keep this PG. It's one of those sack-up type plays where your manhood's challenged, your team's depending on you. Can you do it? And Jaden Nixon did it. I think that's a play that may get lost as the years go by, but when I think of Jaden Nixon, that play also is going to pop into my head. Yeah, I hope that that play doesn't get lost as the years go by. Um, You stole my thunder. That was my yingling toast of the week. I've got a couple others that I can go to as backups. I was like, I don't know if Carson's going to talk about that one. I think that one might get lost in the shuffle. But, I mean, we're sitting there, and they bring out Ollie and Nixon, and I'm like, all right, one of these guys is the decoy. Which one is it? Um, And Ollie was the decoy, and they send it out to Nixon in the flat. And that defensive back that was out there, uh, TV probably didn't do justice to how good he was for a majority of that game. He was a bigger defensive back. He's the one who had the pick up the uh, north sideline there on Brennan. 
he played a really good game. And Nixon gets out there in the flat, and he's one-on-one with that guy. And I'm like, oh, no. I, I thought for sure he was just going to come up half a yard, maybe a yard short, and get stymied out there. I, I was expecting him to get cute and get fancy with his feet and try to go around him somehow. And Jaden Nixon just lowered his head, started running full speed into this dude's chest, and barreled over him for a first down. When they go out and they use their Doak Walker award-winning running back as the decoy, and they tell you, Jaden Nixon, hey, our season is on your shoulders. We need two yards. And he gets out there, and he gets it done in that way. That, to me, is just it's everything that this team was about, Carson. It's Jaden Nixon who came into the season wanting to be the guy and has now had to just sit idly by and take his four or five snaps a game and watch Ollie run it up and become the superstar. And obviously, I'm sure Jaden Nixon's happy to be a part of this team, but these guys are competitors, right? He wants touches. He wants to have an impact. And he gets the chance late in that game when Oklahoma State has kind of signaled, hey, we're selling out for this drive to be the game-winning drive. And for it to continue, you need Jaden Nixon to go make that play, and he runs somebody over to go get you a first down. I was, I was jumping out of my seat onto the row in front of me for Jaden Nixon. That was ten out of ten effort, um, execution. His teammates were loving it; they were all over him whenever he stood up over there. That was, that was a play that I really hope doesn't get forgotten, Carson, because. If he tries to to juke and gets tackled half a yard short, BYU can pick up a first down and win that game. Um, yeah, so some things could have flipped one way or another on several plays in this game, and that was a big, big, big one. And Jaden Nixon deserves just immense, immense credit for going and getting that first down. Yeah, that took a lot. That took a lot of mental, physical fortitude, that's for sure. And he's such a good receiver, Colby. I Going next week against Texas, I would love to see Nixon in the backfield with Ollie a lot more because you can do so much off of that, like that particular play. Is that something you think they should kind of implement against Texas? I I certainly do. I do, yeah. I think you're going to have to be much more creative against Texas. They've got some big boys up front. They're going to make life a little difficult in the middle, I would imagine. Another thing I would like to see, they haven't broken it out yet at all this season. Maybe they're not going to, but if there's a time to do it, I think it's next Saturday. I would love in some of these short yardage situations to see Ollie Gordon in the Wildcat. He, he ran Wildcat in high school, um, I think against a, a team like Texas that's going to have big boys in the middle and, and make life harder. I think you can either send Bowman to the sideline or you can just split him out way wide over to the edge of the field, take a defender with him, and, and just even out the numbers a little bit with Ollie in the box. I also think, and I know what I said after the Bedlam game, but stick with me here, I also think that if you get down and you've got, you know, third and goal from the two-yard line, you can line Ollie up in the Wildcat after you've already done it a few times that game, and you can throw the little pop pass over the top. I know I said we're never letting him throw again after Bedlam, but I would let him throw a pop pass from the two-yard line if uh, Josiah Johnson or Braden Cassidy sprung open in the back of the end zone. So I I think you're going to need some creativity to uh, get around the strength that Texas is going to have in the trenches and I hope that they'll look into maybe some Ollie Nixon formations and maybe some Ollie Wildcat just to give Texas some looks that they haven't seen a ton of on film. I love that call because the beauty of the Wildcat, when the quarterback runs the ball, you get an extra blocker. And an extra blocker for Ollie Gordon would be a, a great a great wrinkle to throw at Texas for sure because they're the best run defense by far in the Big 12. 
that's that's going to be a tough tough matchup, which we'll we'll talk extensively about this week. All right, let's get to the Chris University Spirit uniform. Or wait, I have one more thought before we move on to the uniform review. Okay. I thought Squinky was about to beat me over the head. I mean, all you have to do is your your Groza award contender leading the nation in field goals made. All you have to, as he lined it up, Colby, I just said, God, if they make this extra points for, you can't miss this. And he kicked it low. He's been kicking it low all year. It gets blocked. BYU in less than a minute goes down and kicks a 48, 49 yard field goal in a torrential monsoon downpour, freezing cold quagmire of a, a game. I thought that was that might have been the most OSU thing of all time if they went on to lose the game. Just couldn't make an extra point because that's all, all they had to do to really ice the game. That was so deflating when he missed the extra point because Ollie Bray, Ollie gets to the corner right there. And in that moment, I think we're going up 28-24. And I know for a fact, just nearly a 100% fact, BYU is not going to go down the field and score a touchdown. They're just not going to do it. Their quarterback's not good enough. That's not enough time. This weather's a nightmare. It's just not happening. Oklahoma State's going to win this game in regulation. And then the PAT gets blocked. And I'm like, no, this is not, this can't happen. And then they come down. And of course, it's a 49-yarder. And as soon as it left his foot, I'm like, oh, my God, this dude just absolutely sent a laser up here into the net in the west end zone. Um, I'm like, this is, this is how it's going to happen? Like, this is how Oklahoma State is going to lose this game and send Oklahoma to the Big 12 title game is because you can't execute the extra point. It would have been the squinkiest uh, squinky that ever squinkied. And fortunately, it didn't end up mattering. It, it It was so jarring that in the first overtime, when Ollie scored to cut it to, what would that have been, 34, 33? I mean, people are celebrating in the West End Zone. I didn't celebrate a lick. Not after Ollie scored. I'm like, nope, I need to see the kick go through the uprights to tie this yeah. game up before I celebrate. And even that one looked like BYU got pretty close. Um, so that's something that's got to be sured up. There, there were mistakes made. Um, and this is my last thought before we move on. Little mistakes made in that game. A couple in the first half that we didn't single out earlier that we probably should have. The fourth and one where Ollie and Alan Bowman aren't on the same page. Alan Bowman turns one way. Ollie Gordon goes the uh, other and it's a busted play. And now you turn the ball over on downs at midfield. That's a huge, huge play. You're, you're losing possession there. Um, that's just a disaster. That can't happen. And then you you get uh, on the ensuing drive, or maybe it was uh, two drives later, you're backed up on your own 10 yard line. Jaden Bray comes in the game. I think it was his first snap on the field. And I don't know if it was Bray's fault or Bowman's fault. Um, the way things played out, the way it looked, I would tend to believe that it was Bray's fault that he was supposed to run a slant there and he runs a go. Bowman takes it. It's clearly a, a no read play. You're just getting it and it's a quick slant and just throws it right to the guy for an easy pick six. Um, those are things that can't happen in week 12. Those are things that could have upended your season. Just lack of communication, guys not knowing which way to go. Um, those were two really bad mistakes that could have gotten you beat. You tack on the missed extra point there at the end that you get blocked. Those are three really glaring mistakes uh, in week 12 of the season. So uh, I know the coaches saw all those things. I know that they're going to work on getting those things cleaned up. Uh, but to beat Texas, you're going to have to play a remarkably clean game. And Oklahoma State really got away with some big mistakes yesterday. 
And that's what's kind of funny about having the nation's leading rusher is it's been a problem all year on fourth and one. We remember the Bedlam game. They're they're so out of sorts, Colby. They're putting Alan Bowman in the pistol on fourth and one with Ollie Gordon. Uh, I think that's even more of an example to go to the Wildcat, which you're mentioning, because clearly they're having trouble blocking it up front on fourth and one in obvious, you know, running situations. Uh, I wouldn't mind putting Ollie under or Bowman under center and just doing the tush push or put Ollie under center. I don't know if he can handle a snap. He, I know he played quarterback, but they gotta they gotta mix it up, Cole, because what they're doing is not working. That's it. I think the I think the Wildcat call is a really good one. Yeah, I, I really do. I love the Wildcat with Ollie. Um, again, he ran it in high school to a ton of success. It gives you the opportunity for some trick plays off of it. I also don't hate. Um, I don't know if Josiah Johnson can take a snap, but when it's fourth and a foot, if Josiah Johnson can take a snap then why isn't Justin Kirkland and a, a backup offensive lineman, why aren't those two guys coming in and standing behind a, a bigger guy like a Josiah Johnson? Again, if he can take a snap, and if not, let Bowman do it. And have Justin Kirkland and one of your backup offensive linemen just push, 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 you know, before the fourth and one miscommunication between Bowman and Ollie, you've got a situation there on third down where they hurry to the line and try to QB sneak. They tried to do that against Oklahoma. It didn't work. Um, they tried to do it yesterday. It didn't work. Well, I mean, everybody knows you're sneaking there anyway. Just put the two big guys behind him and push him. I don't understand yeah. why that isn't happening. So, um, yeah, third and one, fourth and one. I, I feel like Oklahoma State is running some low percentage plays on those on those in those spots whenever the other team just knows that you're going to bring it up the middle and it's not working. So I, I would like to see much more creativity on third and fourth and one um, than what we've seen recently from Oklahoma State. I'm with you. Uh, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Appreciate Chris's. I uh, wasn't able to swing by on Stillwater on Saturday, but I'll be back for basketball season and I uh, hope everyone was able to stop by at some point in this year and we wouldn't be able to do what we do without Chris's uh, sponsoring the podcast for many years now. And it's been a wonderful partnership and proud to be associated with, you know, such a staple in, in Stillwater. Uh, Colby black, orange, black for me, best home look they have. It's, it's certainly up there. Uh, best home look. Uh, I guess if we're going non specialty uniforms, the homecoming kind of berry throwbacks that they wear are obviously elite. Um, but yeah, Non-specialty uniforms, black, orange, black is pretty sweet. I, I know you went brand and nailed it. I went cursive Cowboys, um, and they went with the brand. But, man, that's a great look. And and for whatever reason, when you wear it late in the season, on one of those cold days, I don't know, you wear it early in the year and it's 94 degrees or something, you've got the, the two blacks on, it just doesn't hit the same. But when it's 35 degrees and it's spitting rain at you for four hours and they've got those black helmets and pants on, uh, and then America's brightest orange in the middle. That's just, that's a really good look. I, I love those unis yesterday. Yeah, they look great. Uh, it's good to see the brand. My dad was happy. He said they're the best uniforms ever. I don't, I don't, they're up there. Um, all black's got a case. I think black, black, orange has a case, but those three for me are the best home looks all black, 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 orange and black, orange, black for me, just black and orange is all you need. You don't need any white in there. So I thought they look fantastic. Um, you ready for the toast of the week? I am ready for the Yingling toast of the week. Uh, Yingling, America's oldest brewery, and I was pleased to see Colby. I I take took my wife Sydney to Eskimo Joe's uh, as one must do when they're going to Stillwater, and I I get in line and I I go let's see what they have on tap here. 
guess what they had on tap? Yingling flight? They had the flight on tap. My wife was pleased to see that because she loves the flight. Everyone loves the flight. They, it was like 10 to 1 on the amount of flights getting ordered as opposed to all the other beers they had on tap. So that, that should tell you just how good it is. It's smooth. It's light. It's refreshing. Uh, not too heavy. And it uh, it was perfect. So appreciate Yingling sponsoring the podcast as always. Where are you going with your toast of the week? I kind of stole the, the Jaden Nixon thunder, but if you got somewhere else or you can go back to Jaden if you want. No, I'm not going back to Jaden. I'm going to a guy that we have not talked about individually yet, but he deserves his flowers. And that is one Mr. Trey Rucker. Um, man, this this guy, he, he comes in last year. He's ineligible. He doesn't get to play until the bowl game. He's got to sit around all year, watch everybody else play. He can't get on the field, plays the bowl game, come back, comes back this year. Um, he's a starter. He he gets some legal trouble earlier in the season, which seemed like seems like that's all been straightened out, uh, as far as I know. And he has just been such a solid force in the back of this defense. He's been a great tackler. Uh, I mean, when he gets his hands on guys, very few missed tackles from Trey Rucker. Uh, he's gotten beat over the, the top a couple of times. He turned the wrong way last week at Houston on that that post route uh, and got beat. But man, he's just been there time after time for Oklahoma State. He was the one that flies in and gets the fumble recovery on the first drive of that game yesterday when it, it looks like that ball is going to have bounced back to the the BYU quarterback um, and Rucker just comes flying in there like a missile dives, no regard for his own body, just throwing it in there to go get the ball. And then Carson, the play that ended the game, that play in itself encapsulated what this season was for Oklahoma state. It's like he comes across the middle, he catches it. This is going to be a good play for BYU. It's going to be a first down, maybe set up a third and one. Oklahoma State already didn't get the two-point conversion. Everybody in the stadium is so nervous. If they score, all they've got to do is get in from the three, and this game's over, and this season is over, and you're heartbroken. And then Trey Rucker just hangs on that guy and hangs on that guy and hangs on that guy, and he's ripping, and he's pulling, and he's ripping, and the ball comes free. Somehow he kept him up off the ground. it's, It's like he was tackling him and holding him up off the ground, and ripping the ball away, and then he gets it out, he's able to get on top of it, and Carson, we don't know how things play out if Trey Rucker just makes a routine tackle and throws that guy to the ground and stands up and keeps moving. BYU might go score. They might go get the two-point conversion. Um, It might go to another overtime, and and you could get a a holding penalty on first down that backs you up and you can't overcome. There are so many unpredictable things that can happen, and you just needed somebody on defense to make the play that you can remember forever that ended that game, and it was Trey Rucker who went and got it. Um, that was a special, special play to end that game. I heard Dave's call on the radio on the way back. Does he have it? Does he have it? We're going to Arlington. We're going to Arlington. Cowboys win. <laughs> it's just those those things are so much fun. They're so memorable. And that's an iconic play that Trey Rucker made at the end of that game yesterday that I don't think anybody's going to forget anytime soon. You know, I mentioned the, the plaque for Rashad Owens. Do they do they bronze Trey Rucker's foot that that kept kept that play alive? So so okay, we couldn't tell in the stadium. Was his knee just hovering, or was it on top of Trey Rucker's foot? It was on top of his foot. Incredible. <laughs> it, I mean, that's in, that's incredible. That like that cleat. <laughs> take that cleat and put it in the little museum. 
somewhere. <laughs> that cleat has to be memorialized. Did, did the BYU guy already have the first down too? It was close. I don't remember. It would have been you. I mean, anybody can go back and watch. It was their first possession of second yeah. over. So the first down would have been the 15. So you can see if he would have crossed the 15. If not, they would have had two downs to get a yard. So um, that was it was a huge play. There's no telling what happens after that if he doesn't make that play. Well, Big Dave uh, on YouTube's already got the full game up. I think people in the chamber were talking about how Big Dave needs to be in the ring of honor. Uh, he's the man that puts up OSU's full games uh, on, on YouTube. So if people want to check that out. Toast? Honorary toast, Big Dave? Yeah, honorary toast to Big Dave, man. You're doing the doing the Lord's work. I mean, I don't know who he is. I don't know how he gets access to the full games, but it's certainly a great resource. Okay, I've got the play pulled up here. Let's see. Rucker gets it. Okay, they, they complete it. He's about – okay, he would have been two yards short when he ripped the ball out, but it was second down, so it would have been third and short. Uh, so BYU was in business without Trey Rucker's heroics. And that's, that's two – you know, straight weeks, Colby, where he's made an absolutely game-changing play. I think uh, Trey Rucker certainly deserving. He's had a rough year, I think, in coverage, but he's a big hitter uh, and has made two of the season-defining plays uh, for the Oklahoma State defense. So I'm going to toast him while also raising a glass to Brian Nardo. I mean, huge step up in competition, Different, completely different level of football, completely different level of athlete, and – He's had some real learning moments, uh, particularly the last three weeks. I mean, he gets run off the field against UCF. Uh, things were looking terrible. Now, I think, you know, a pick six against Houston and a pick six against BYU. I don't think the offense did any favors for Brian Nardo in the defense. But what else can you say, Colby? I mean, we we were sad to see Jim Knowles go. Uh, led one of the best defenses in school history. And a hallmark of those defenses were second-half adjustments. And I, once again... It's it's patently obvious that this guy knows knows ball and knows how to correct mistakes and knows how to adjust to what teams are doing offensively because so many times in second halves this year, teams have run out of answers. They're kind of left searching because what that was working in the first half simply is not anymore. And you got to give Mike Gundy a ton of credit for finding this guy and hiring him and letting him do his thing because Oklahoma State's offense – Hasn't been very good the last three weeks. Alan Bowman has not thrown a touchdown. He's thrown what one touchdown in the last three weeks, something like that. Uh, the offense has not been as crisp, as efficient, as explosive as it was during their their winning streak uh, that led them to this position. And so I, I think you really have to give a ton of credit to the Oklahoma State defense for getting them to Arlington. And cheers to Brian Nardo. Yeah, the halftime adjustments are just it, it is both. Um amazing and a little bit infuriating sometimes like yesterday that first half was infuriating and then it's like oh let's just fill those gaps and set the edge and we're good they can't throw the ball this is easy well I mean I would have loved that to have been the strategy from the jump but they made the they made the switch and they got it fixed and they nearly pitched a shutout in the second half um, that last drive, Nicholas Martin and Xavier Benson were bringing pressure on, on seemingly every play on that drive is what it looked like to us. And you got home a couple times. It forced some errant throws one ball that I don't think Kendall Daniels really saw out of the quarterback's hand, uh, that if he could have, he might've been able to end it in regulation and they get a couple plays across the middle, kick the field goal, but you go out in overtime and you've just got a guy ready to make a play. So yeah, the halftime adjustments, uh, what Brian Nardo ha has been able to do in year one 
this is just not a defense. I certainly think after that South Alabama game and then after the Iowa State game, there's just no way. We could look at the offense and we're like, yeah, this is pretty clear what's going wrong here offensively. But there was nothing defensively that I looked at coming into the bye week heading out of September that I'm like, oh, this defense is capable of getting enough stops that this team can go to a Big 12 championship game. And that's what they did. Um, and big, big series late in games. I mean, the, the couple of stops late in the Bedlam game, um, you know, key stops in the second half against Houston. How about even earlier in the season, the way they made Will Howard look coming out of the bye week, just really, really impressive stuff particularly in the second halves. Uh, that's a good shout there. Nardo deserves a ton of credit for what he accomplished in year one. Yep, absolutely. And what's amazing is none of the tiebreakers came into play. Uh, didn't matter. All the talk about tiebreakers. It's OSU. It's Texas. And just like we all predicted, Colby, you and I predicted nine wins. Uh, no sweat, right? Had it, all, had it all along. Never a doubt. No sweat. Yeah, that's uh, no sweat is one way to put it. Nine and three, just like we all predicted. Easy, stress-free season. Another trip to the Big 12 championship game. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Well, and and, and I'll say this, too, and I, I put this out there, and Oklahoma State's playing with house money here. I mean, Texas is going to be ranked in the top five. They're going to be, gosh, 13-point favorites, 14-point higher. I don't know. They're going to be big favorites in this game. Uh, nobody predicted even before September – before they lost to South Alabama, that, that that Oklahoma State would be in the Big 12 championship game, much less after losing to South Alabama. So I, I think this is a case where Oklahoma State can kind of come out like BYU, Colby, just pull out all the stops. I mean, Mike Gundy did a great job in Bedlam. I think you treat it the same way. I mean, uh, Texas is going to be big favorites. I, I kind of like having an overconfident Texas team, the same Texas team. Um could have lost to Houston without a controversial call. I don't know. They, they might have. I mean, they have not. Texas, look, make no mistake. Texas is a really good team. They're the best team in the Big 12. Uh, they destroyed Texas Tech. But let's not pretend they've been a juggernaut all year. I know they've had Quinn Ewers hurt, but they beat Iowa State by 10. They beat TCU by 3 on the road. They, they won an overtime against Kansas State. Dominated BYU. Could have lost to Houston. Uh, they beat Oklahoma and they dominated Kansas and Baylor. I mean, they've, they've been fallible here. They're not, this is not Colt McCoy and Vince Young's Texas is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, they're going to be big favorites and rightfully so. And Oklahoma state's going to have their hands full, but people just assuming Texas is going to win by 40, uh, I think are sadly mistaken. Yeah, I think so too. I, did you, I, I didn't, I missed it there. If you said, it. have you seen the line on this game? I haven't. I was guessing 13 and a half, 14. Okay, you're close. 12 and a half is what I'm seeing right now. I, and it's actually shifted a full point since we got on. I pulled this page up when we started the podcast. I showed Texas as 11 and a half point favorites. I now show them as 12 and a half point favorites. Um, Kansas State was favored by 11, 11 and a half, somewhere in that neighborhood against Oklahoma State earlier this year. I, I think it will take a special performance from Oklahoma State. I think it will take some wrinkles, some things um, that, that – Texas hasn't seen yet this year. I don't think it's impossible. I, I it, It'll be surprising if Oklahoma State wins this game because Texas, they've just, they have really filled their offensive and defensive lines with just massive, massive human beings who can just move other people around. And I'm telling you, strap in because at times it is going to be frustrating on Saturday watching 
uh, Texas at the line of scrimmage and watching how big and physical and powerful they are. But Oklahoma State can do some things to make them uncomfortable, um, and it's just going to take some of those special plays, right? We saw yesterday a game where BYU was playing with house money, and Oklahoma State had everything to lose. And a BYU team, not nearly as good as that Oklahoma State team, came out and punched them in the mouth because they were ready uh, to go out there and just play free and have fun and nearly pull off the upset. I think Oklahoma State goes into this Saturday against Texas. Nothing to lose. House money. Texas has all the pressure. They're playing for the college football playoff. Um, you know, they're playing for the, the SEC supremacy on the way out the door. I think that this is kind of a house money game for Oklahoma State. I think Mike Gundy um, is at his best as a double-digit underdog, more so than a double-digit favorite. We saw how the first half went yesterday as a double-digit favorite. Um, I don't love that Texas had a full extra day to rest, and then Oklahoma State went double overtime in a 35-degree uh, rainy day, but that's college football. You've got to be ready to play the next Saturday. I, I think that, I think that Texas maybe maybe ends up covering that spread, but I don't think this is going to be some game like Texas Texas Tech. What we watched the other night, where Oklahoma State gets blown off the field. Uh, I don't either. And you know, Iowa State runs a similar defense to Oklahoma State. They gave up 400 total yards and 3.6 yards per carry to Texas. So, I think they kind of put it in Quinn Ewers' hands, a guy that has been prone to throw interceptions and I think he let the chips fall where they may but I'm a little more bullish than I think probably most people will be coming into this game because again I I don't think Texas is a dominant champion type team I mean they lost Oklahoma and could have lost several others along the way but hey who cares right you're playing in Arlington second time in three years uh you join an elite list of teams that have played for multiple conference titles the last three or four years so Colby, it's been a fun ride. We'll, we're going to talk a lot more about it this week. We'll ask for Twitter questions, but uh, I enjoyed it, man. It was fun to be up in Stillwater. It's been a fun regular season, and we got one more to go before bowl season. Yeah, we do. That's a lot of fun. Um, not just having to sit around and wait for Selection Sunday now to see where Oklahoma State's going. It was a blast this year. Um, it was cold yesterday to the fans who made it all the way to the end. There weren't a ton of us, but those that were there were loud. Everybody shifted down to the West End Zone in overtime. Everybody was on their feet. Everybody was making noise. It's as loud as twenty or 30,000 people can be in the freezing cold the last week in November. So, uh, great season. We'll come back later in the week, and we'll, we'll do a full preview, a full breakdown of Oklahoma State and Texas uh, and try to find some scenarios in which Oklahoma State can win that game on Saturday. As always, thanks, everyone, for listening. Go Pokes!